You can be turning in your Bibles to Colossians. We're in chapter 2, and we'll be covering probably one verse today. But I'll be reading many, many verses today. But first, before we get into that, I just want to say something about the first hymn that we sang, To God Be the Glory. And Fanny Crosby wrote that, and she has written so many beautiful hymns. And this, have you ever thought about uh, witnessing? What are we supposed to do as believers? What is, you know, I'm always praying that we would be better equipped to go out into the world and to be able to minister to those who need to know about Jesus. But do any of us do that? Do we go out? Now, first, we need to be who we say we are and how we act, the things we say. All of that can witness to people. And if you don't have that part of it, going out and actually doing what most people would call witnessing really won't be much. You know, it just won't affect anybody because if you are different than what you claim to be, you don't, your, your life doesn't match what your profession of faith is. Then you're not going to be a very good witness. Um, I want to make sure you understand that when you go out, you share the gospel in your everyday life. It's not very effective just to walk up to people's houses and knock on the door and say, uh, where are you going when you die? That's not the right way to do it. When you hear someone talking about something that's going on in their life, maybe some bad situation, it would be better just to say, you know, Jesus has an answer for that. And let me tell you about my Savior. Do you know anything about Jesus? Have you heard about him? You know, those types of things. When you walk up to somebody, don't try to point out how, how sinful they are. Tell them how sinful you are. They'd be much more willing to listen if you talk about how sinful you are, I am, and how God can use me anyway, and how he cleansed me from the sins that were surely going to send me to hell. Now, this, this hymn is perfect. If you just knew this hymn, you can go out and witness to somebody just by what it says right here. You know, just give God the glory in whatever you're doing through the day. Make sure you tell people that he, he so loved the world that he gave his son who, who yielded his life an atonement for sin and open the life gate that all may go in. All. 
See, that's, that's more my doctrine. I, I've talked about some other denominations and what they might believe and what they teach, but I like the way Fanny Crosby thinks her doctrine matches up with my doctrine that uh, because of what Jesus did, all could go in. Do all go in? No, not all go in. But what Jesus did made the way. It's right here in this beautiful hymn. Then it talks about the perfect redemption, the purchase of blood. People don't want to talk about the blood. It's too barbaric. But Jesus shed his blood for that perfect redemption. That's what gave us the atonement. It, it doesn't matter how horrible of a sinner you are. It says right here, the vilest offender. Who, how many times have you heard me say, truly believes? If you are truly a born-again child of God. I say, I say that often because I just know too many people who claim to be Christians that don't act that way at all. They don't, the, their life doesn't match it. But those who truly believe, and at the moment that you truly believe, the pardon's there. You're not working for it. It's right here in the hymn. The moment that you truly believe, it's done. You're translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. And then... What we're waiting for, the very last part of it, of how much greater will our wonder be when we actually go to be with Him, is how that song ends. And that's just a good way to witness, just knowing this hymn right here. So you can, uh, don't do it right now, but... I was going to say, while I'm preaching and you're out there bored, you can turn to 28 and just start reading over this hymn and memorize it. But now I would like for you to listen to what the Bible says that I have brought to you today. So Colossians chapter, chapter 2, verse 15. A couple weeks ago, we, we uh, were talking about the 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. You know, when I said we were going to go through the book of Colossians, I don't know if you said, well, that's only four chapters. That's not going to take much time. Well, we are, we are halfway through chapter 2, and we've been on it for a while, and I don't think I'm going to get past verse 15 today. Now, after, after blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, we have to understand what that is, and that is the law. Uh, Wednesday nights, we've been talking a whole lot ab- about Moses delivering the children of Israel. They had they've been delivered from bondage, and they've been wandering through the desert for forty years. They're trying to get to the promised land, and Moses really wants to go into the promised land. But Moses has been told by God, "You aren't going in," and you don't see an argument. Moses just listens to what God said, and he finally realizes, okay, my, uh, God's plan for me, Moses speaking, is I'm not going in. 
but he was able to see it all. And Joshua was given the uh, Joshua was given the job of what Moses thought he was going to do. Moses brought the people up through this handwriting of ordinances, the law. The law shows you that you do not measure up. And when you try to keep the law, you fail miserably, and you finally get to the point where you say, God, I can't do this. I need a Savior. That's the whole point of all of it. We need to get to the point where we need a Savior. So this blotting out the handwriting of ordinances is what Jesus did for us through that blood, and he blotted out with his blood that the law that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. It was Jesus' cross, his cross. And we, we know the, the story of how all of his enemies, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and the devil himself and all the demons, they wanted to see Jesus dead. They pushed him to the cross. Everything they did was pushing him to the cross, and that's exactly where he needed to go. So this next verse, verse 15, is telling us about the shock of the evil beings, the spirit world that we're up against, how they saw what they were trying to do was actually where Jesus was supposed to go, and when he died on that cross, he gave up his spirit, and then his body was buried in a tomb, but yet he, I want you to remember, there was two thieves hanging on either side of Jesus when he was on his cross. The one represents those who do not believe on him. The other one showed and represents all the people who were just as bad as the other one who didn't believe, but yet he did believe. The one thief believed on Jesus while he was hanging on the cross next to Jesus, and Jesus told him, this day you will be with me in paradise. Now, Jesus had already told all his disciples that when he died, he was going down into the heart of the earth. Jesus told this dude, this day you will be with me in paradise. So paradise at that point was not heaven. Oh. But paradise today is heaven. But at that point, there was a place called Abraham's bosom. And that's in the Bible. <clears throat> Okay, let me read 15 first. I haven't even read it yet. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What does it mean to be spoiled in the Bible? When, when you read about going into a nation and destroying that nation. God said, go to those people and destroy them and take their land 
And then when you're done with the battle, you can take of the spoil, which means all the stuff. Not only did you defeat them, but you took everything from them. That's the spoil. Jesus, after because of hanging on the cross, he goes down into the heart of the earth. He goes to Abraham's bosom. There's, there, there are angels, fallen angels, that are locked up in a certain compartment down in the heart of the earth. And the, those were the angels that did some really bad things in ancient times, and they were not allowed to roam free. Right now, there are a bunch of fallen angels that are able to ro- roam free. Satan roams free. Satan can go to different places. He has not been chained up. But there are certain angels that are in chains. And you can see that in, in uh, the uh, b- book of Jude. Jude talks about there were certain angels that had this sin of leaving their first estate and going to a place they shouldn't have gone and doing bad things with humankind. And they were, that was so evil in God's eyes that God chained them up waiting for the day when everybody's loose and the, the, the big battle and all that happens. So, principalities and powers. What, what are those things? Principalities and powers. Think about it. In um, Ephesians talks about principalities and powers. I'm going to read a couple different places out of Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, talks, first I'm going to read 6. All right, this, this should be very familiar to you. This is 6.12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now in Ephesians uh, 4, I'm going to start with verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Paul is talking to the Ephesian people. The church, he's talking to a whole lot of people because it's in our Bibles, and it made it all the way to us here today, this letter that he sent out. And he says that he's a prisoner. But all of us, before we come to know the Lord, we're all in bondage to the devil and to this world we live in, and, to, and we're in bondage to our own flesh. We're in bondage. So we are prisoners. So when Jesus died on the cross and he went down into paradise, he set the captives free. He took captivity captive. So if you're captive, you're a prisoner. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you of being in bondage and what some of the things that are in the Word of God, what it says 
and help you understand some meanings as far as what is principalities, what is powers, what are we really truly up against, and that there is a spiritual world that we're dealing with that we don't see, but it is against us. And we have to understand that when we're in Jesus, he has won the battle for us. And Paul is talking about being a, uh, a prisoner in the very first verse of Ephesians 4, verse 1. I bese uh, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? That's a question. So we know that he ascended. How do we know that? How do we know he ascended? I mean, it's way back in uh, Psalm, Psalm 68, verse 18 says, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts from men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. That's way back in Psalm. And Paul knows Scripture pretty well, and he quotes it right here in Ephesians. Led captivity captive. What does that mean? He led captivity captive. So somebody was held captive, and then he went and took them as prisoners of his own and led them away from whatever was holding them. Well, that's a picture of us, but it's also a picture of something that really happened when he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same... This is verse 10 of Ephesians 4. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. I'm going to keep reading a little bit. Um, he gave some, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So that's talking about the gifts that he's given. I'm in Matthew right now. Just take a note. Listen, this is Matthew. Right after Je Jesus is, he's on the cross and he dies. He gives up, gives up his spirit and it says in 51, this is Matthew 27, 51, 52, and 53. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent or ripped in twain, in two, from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, 
and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, which slept, that means in Bible terms, that's died. So saints who have died, they're sleeping. If they're in the Lord, they're sleeping. They were put in graves. I don't know how long they've been in these graves. But when Jesus died on the cross and all this stuff was happening, the earth quaked and the rocks were broken and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. All right, three days, in these two verses, three days has happened. The earth quaked when he died on the cross. Rocks were broken up. Uh, the centurion, watching all these things, said, truly, this was the Son of God. But yet, three days later, when he, when he was resurrected, there were a whole bunch of saints who were dead, that their graves were opened up, and they walked through the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and appeared unto many. Was that part of the captivity, being, being led captive, being taken? Where were those people at? Their bodies were in the grave, but yet their souls were down in Abraham's bosom. Paradise. Um, maybe an air-conditioned part of hell. They weren't, you know, back then, before Jesus was able to go up to the true Holy of Holies and to deposit his blood there, like the priests would do on earth, he'd go into the Holy of Holies in the temple and he would deposit blood. Jesus went up there to make atonement, and I, I, I think that he went up to the cross, got his blood, and took it to the Father and laid it in the true Holy of Holies. And the, our God, Heavenly Father said, that is sufficient for all to be able to come to him, just like the hymn said. So how do we know about this place, this paradise place that is called Abraham's bosom. How do we know about it? Luke. In Luke, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. This is Luke 16, starting with verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. See, I didn't make that place up. It's right here. The rich man also died and was buried. Uh, where's the angels coming to get him? I don't see that. 23, and in hell, some versions will say Hades, he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me 
and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am, in, I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, or not so good things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So hence is here and thence is there. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. See, this, this rich man was not a believer. He was warned when he was on this earth, but he never believed, and he had a very wonderful life while he was here. But like Adrian Rogers said, he had just made the world a better place to go to hell from. On this earth, people are so deceived. People will have very much confidence in what they've done for themselves, and they live a, what they call a nice long life. And that is very pitiful to think that you live a nice long life when you have eternity ahead, which is a very long time, Pooh. You know, how long, how long is forever? Well, it's a very long time, Pooh. So you, you live a nice life here on this earth, and you'll just end up like this rich man, down in hell, in torment. Now, if you go there now, if you were to die right now, and you're a non-believer, and you was to go down to this place right here, you're not going to see Abraham there. You're not going to see Lazarus there. It's going, you, you, you probably can still see across this great gulf and see maybe the running water, which just adds to your torment that you can see over to where Abraham's bosom used to be. You can't get there. And it's empty today because Jesus went down into the heart of the earth the thief that was hanging on the one side of him was there with him and saw all of this take place and he gathered all those people up that were in Abraham's bosom and said, now you can go to be with the Father. So today we say when someone passes away, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, back then it wasn't the case. Now, I have a feeling that the whole false doctrine of purgatory that the Roman Catholics uh, brought up and taught very diligently came from this right here. And they made people think that you, you didn't quite make it here on this earth or you did pretty good, but you, there's still some more things that need to be dealt with. So you're going to go down to purgatory and you're going to suffer for... All right, let me look at the list of the sins. Ooh, whoa, you're going to be there for a while. Uh, well, maybe if some loved ones of yours will give us some money, you know, indulgences, then we can kind of shorten this up a little bit for you. Or 
before you die, maybe you should leave your inheritance to the church so that we can, you know, shorten up your time in purgatory. If you can get people to believe that, they, would, they, they, were, they were leaving money and giving money that they didn't really could afford. Uh, that's, that, those things come out of just partial knowledge of the Word of God. So this rich man is begging that maybe Lazarus can go back Send him back up there so he can tell my five brothers about this place. Tell them that it's real. We didn't believe it. We, we laughed and mocked at the people who told us about this, but now I know it's real. Could you send somebody back up there and he'll tell them all about it? Just tell them I sent him. Well, Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. We, we have... Moses and the prophets. We have it today. It's in our Bibles. You know, on the, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, you had Moses and Elijah showed up. That's the law and the prophets. They're around. They're, they're not really dead. And if you don't learn from the law, Moses... And the prophets, if you don't learn, they point you to Jesus. And he's telling this guy, look, you had it. You had everything you needed to be pointed to Jesus. And then he said, and he, and he said, nay, this is the rich man, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Will, will they? You know plenty of people who have not repented and Jesus came back from the dead. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they, they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And that was very true. If you miss the word of God, you'll miss Jesus. You're going to miss him. You know, Peter says something in uh, 1 Peter 3.19. He says, by which also he went. He's talking about Jesus going to died a death so that we would have a way. But he, he said what he says there is by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. I don't think that has to do with what I just told you about. It could. Some people think it does. Maybe it has to do with, because in the context, it's talking about Noah. So I think it might go all the way back to those, the reason I said at the beginning of all this, those spirits or those angels that are locked up, that are in chains. Jesus didn't go to them that I know of but yet maybe he did while he was there. Maybe that's how he made a show of them openly. Maybe that's why he triumphed with all of that had happened to him, and they were all down there happy that Jesus finally died on that cross, but then he came down to them. The people, like the rich man, watched all of those people be, being gathered up and taken out of there, and they were left behind. So maybe those angels, those spirits that were locked in prison, maybe they saw the same thing. Not sure. 
but it's an example of prison and captivity. The people who died back then, who went to Abraham's bosom, they were captive in that place, waiting on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We today are delivered from our bondage, whether it be to the world, to the devil, to the flesh, it's all the same answer. It's all the same one that will set us free, and it's Jesus. He is the one who set us free. Moses was a type and picture of Jesus who went to his people and delivered them out of Egypt, bondage to the world. Jesus is our Joshua. Moses could not take the children of Israel into the promised land, but Joshua could. Why? Because he represents Jesus taking us into our promised land. Moses couldn't do it because he represented the law, but he got us right up to the point. The law and the prophets get us turned in the right direction, and it gets us all the way to the Jordan River, but it can't take us through the Jordan River. Only Joshua can. Joshua means Jehovah saves. Jesus means Jehovah saves. And just like the children of Israel being led into the promised land by Joshua, we must be led into heaven by Jesus. I hope you see it. I hope you get it. I hope you understand that all the answers are in this good book. Learn to love it, read it, and live it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your wonderful word. Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that has um, redeemed us, atoned for us. Father, it has made a way for us to be able to spend eternity with you. Father, we are so thankful for that. Father, give us the ability to be able to share this wonderful message with those who need to hear it. Father, help us to remember grace and mercy. Father, help us to have an answer. Help us to be seasoned with salt. Help, help us to get people to focus on you. Father, we need help. We need wisdom. And we need to be able to walk in the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit so that we can do these things for you. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.